the who, how, and when of disclosure related to Huntington's disease. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Klitzman, the Associate Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. He co-founded and for five years co-directed the Columbia University Center for Bioethics and is currently the Director of Ethics and Policy Corps of the HIV Center. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm pleased to be here. We're going to be discussing the very complex social process that goes on in the interaction between family members, patients, and healthcare workers in disclosure processing of Huntington's disease. First of all, could you tell me who made up the data that you have published so widely about? Well, I've been doing a series of studies, so I have interviewed uh, about 25 people who have or are at risk of Huntington's disease and uh, have been publishing the data. These are people who are referred to the medical center that you're at? Yes. Some are seen here in a clinic, and some are family members of those people, and some heard that I was doing the study and contacted me on their own. This is not an easy issue for any family that has been exposed to this disease, especially because unlike many of the genetic diseases that we associate with prenatal care or pediatrics, this is one that comes on in an adulthood. Could you tell me some of the common themes? For example, who were involved in disclosures? Who did they talk to? Who did they extend the information to? Right. Well, Huntington's disease, as many of you all know, is a autosomal dominant disease, which means that if you have the gene, you will get the disease. And if one of your parents has a gene, there's a 50-50 chance that you will have the gene and that each child of someone with Huntington's will have the gene. And if you have the gene, you will, unless you die of something else first, you will die of Huntington's disease at about the same age that the parent who was affected Die. Usually people in their late 40s, 50s, kind of typically give or take a couple of years, and that depends on different aspects of the genetics I can go into if you're interested. So people who find out they're at risk, or people find out they're at risk in different ways. One is they have a parent who is diagnosed, or they may have a sibling, or they may have a cousin who's diagnosed, for instance. And the problem is that the gene was first identified in the 1990s, the early 1990s. And before that, parents may have died, and the diagnosis of Huntington's disease may not have been made. So a parent may have, of course, the symptoms are include psychosis, motor diff- coordination difficulties. So often people say to me, well, you know, my father or my grandfather died, and we always thought he got drunk and fell down the stairs. That was a story in the family. Then I started to have symptoms, and I saw my doctor who decided to look at things, and I tested for Huntington's disease. And then I've now told my children, look, you may be at risk for this disease. So these children are suddenly told by their parent. Or other times people have told me, you know, I was about to get married, and suddenly my mother told me, well, you know, Grandpa didn't just fall down the stairs drunk. In fact, he had Huntington's disease, which means you're at risk of it, and I wanted you to let you know before you went and got married. Because, of course, there's a 50% chance that each child of this person may have the disease if nothing's done about it. Similarly, often siblings will, one sibling will develop symptoms or decide to go and get tested and realize that 
they are either have the disease or at risk, uh, which means that the siblings each have a 50% chance of being at risk. So people disclose through their family in these kinds of ways, and disclosure could be very important in letting someone know that this is a possibility for them. Is the disclosure made always in the same way? Nope. So disclosures vary. So they vary in a few ways. One is when they happen. Some people may be told a little too young, right? I mean, the question is, if you have the disease or know that you have the gene, do you tell your children when they're 15, 18, 20, 30, 40? So there are some late adolescents who said, you know, I wish I hadn't been told when I was 17 years old that this is sort of hang over my head. I would have preferred a few years where I didn't have to worry about this, Right. There are other people who feel they were told too late that when they're about to get married or about to have kids, it's a little too late to be told, perhaps, uh, by the way, you should know that your kids may have this disease and you may have it. So the question of when to tell is hard. And, of course, what is told, whether you're at risk, whether someone has the disease, and, of course, you may have, say, an aunt or uncle who had the disease or had the disease, you don't know your parents' status, right? So you may be told, oh, Uncle Joe, it turns out, has Huntington's disease. Well, you don't know, let's say Uncle Joe's brother is your father, right? You don't know if your father has the disease, has symptoms of the disease. You may, may or may not know, right, or has a gene. So it's possible that just because Brother Joe has it does not mean that your father has the gene. Maybe your father, after all, has a 50-50 chance, so maybe your father doesn't have the gene and you don't have the gene. Other hand, maybe your father also has the gene, and then you may or may not have the gene. So, again, whether you're told that your father is at risk or your father has the disease or if nothing's said can vary quite a bit. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. And I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Klitzman, Associate Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, and we're talking about a process of disclosure having to do with the adult-onset inherited disease, Huntington's disease. You know, when I began to look at Huntington's as a somewhat rare disease, and is this disclosure information that all-encompassing to our listeners, I then began to realize that this really extends to things like breast cancer, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, and familial polyposis. So some of the things we're talking about, about disclosure, really extends to a much larger part of our clinical practice. Isn't that correct? Yes, that's very much correct. And in fact, increasingly part of the lives of our patients in many ways, in that scientists are looking for genetic markers that are associated with a whole variety of diseases, every disease practically from diabetes and coronary artery disease to various forms of cancer, of course, possibly even to infectious diseases. Who is exposed to, say, HIV is going to get AIDS, and some people may never get AIDS. So, and again, these may be genetic factors. So uh, increasingly, there are genetic tests being offered. They're being offered by various companies. They're being offered not only to us as physicians, but to our patients directly through direct-to-consumer advertising of genetic tests. And so patients and physicians will have to deal with questions of, should this patient have a genetic test? If they, uh, why should they or should they not? If they have it, how should they make that decision? What are the factors they should take into account? How should they think about this? What will be the implications for them if they're positive, if they're negative? 
Who would they tell? And these are issues that are important to think about in advance. So with breast cancer, for instance, there are two mutations that have been identified thus far, so-called BRCA1 and BRCA2 for breast cancer, 1 and 2. Roughly about 10% of breast cancer, 5 or 10%, is the familial kind. And if you have the gene for breast cancer, there's about, studies vary, but about a 40 to 60% chance that you will develop breast and ovarian cancer. So women who may have a family history, let's say they have a few female relatives, a sister, aunts, mother, et cetera, a grandmother who've had breast cancer, they may decide to have this test done and then have to decide what to do with the information, who to tell. And difficulties come up. Let's say I haven't talked to my sister in 20 years. I can't stand her. Well, now that I know I have a mutation, should I call her up? Am I required to call her and tell her, look, you should be aware that you ha- you may be at risk of this having this mutation and therefore having disease? What if I don't tell her? Should I feel guilty? Will I feel guilty? What should the physician do? If, if a physician says, uh, should a physician ever say, if you don't tell this relative that you have this genetic disease, I will contact that person and tell them myself. Again, there are precedents if it's a deadly disease that certainly if something's immediately life-threatening and someone else's health and well-being is at stake, there may be times when ethically a physician may decide that is ethically mandated or maybe required by law to notify someone that they're at risk. Well, the question is, and some people wonder, might there be conditions genetically where this is the case? And again, it's not clear at the moment that we know of such cases, but it's possible there may be situations where that may be relevant or may become relevant. And to give you an example, so, uh, and again, how much should a patient, should the doctor also push a patient? Let's say the doctor says, well, it's not in my bounds to go and contact the person's long-lost sister, but I should mention it. Let's say the person says, well, they don't know. Do I follow up every time? Do I bug them about it? What if the patient's at risk and doesn't want to be tested? Are there times when I should say for Huntington's? What, what do I say when someone, if someone says, you know, my sister just told me I'm at risk for Huntington's. Should I take the test? And we know there's a shortage of genetic counselors in this country. There are only about 1,800 genetic counselors in the whole country. Not all of them are practicing at any one time. Some have trained as genetic counselors and now are taking care of the kids at home and not working, for instance. Also, some areas may not have a genetic counselor right there who the doctor could say, well, here's name and number of a genetic counselor. They're right down the hall or in our town or whatever. Uh, You should go and talk to them about these issues. So I think that physicians increasingly are going to have to feel comfortable discussing these issues. And we know that physicians often find it hard to keep up with new genetic information. It's a field that's quick changing very quickly. We know that physicians often don't have time to do a lot of genetic counseling that can be very in-depth and time-consuming. So these are challenges that clinicians will need to deal with increasingly as we go forward. Well, this has certainly brought to light a challenge that physicians will need to be prepared to face, not only for their patients with Huntington's disease, but any patient dealing with adult-onset genetic diseases. I want to thank Dr. Robert Klitzman for being our guest today, and we've been discussing disclosure in the difficult problems of Huntington's disease. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.